Well, if you'd like to look with us, we're in the sixth chapter of Romans. Um, already heard justification, sanctification, all one salvation. And in the first part of this, we've looked at the justification of the believers in Christ and in Christ alone. No works, nothing needs to be added, nothing more needs to be done. But to those that come to Christ for salvation, they are eternally justified by His grace. And now in chapter 6, I'm sure you remember last time we began, He's going to cover, well, if, if you're justified eternally, then you can be saved and go on in sin. Well, that's not the case because in salvation, there is unconditional, unchangeable, eternal justification. Man is made righteous in God's eyes through the shedding of Jesus Christ's blood and His resurrection. Man is saved from sin and he is righteous in God's eyes. But also, that's not the only result of salvation. Here, he's talking about the regeneration of it as well. That just as the Lord Jesus was laid in the grave and resurrected from the grave, we are laid down in His death. There is the washing away of our sins in the blood of the Lord Jesus. All figuratively speaking now, that immersion of baptism, we are immersed in Christ's death. That as God looks upon us, certainly we're sinners. We've covered that already in this book. We're sinners. But as God looks upon us, that debt of sin has been paid and the blood of the Lamb of God is there as payment, as ransom, as redemption for our iniquities. But just like Christ was brought up out of the grave, so also we are raised up. Not only is sins forgiven and done away and we're justified, but God resurrects us in newness of life and so the believer is to walk. Such that my justification is a work of God Well, the regeneration, the new creature, the new birth, the new man, that's a result of the work of God as well. Now, there is a battle that's left for us to fight day by day. We'll look at that on down the line in this book. But here, without question, those that come to Christ for salvation, they are justified and they are regenerated. They are made a new creature. We've got a great example, and I've looked at this several times in Mark chapter 2. You'll recall the story. The Lord Jesus is uh, he's in Capernaum. It's noised abroad that He's in the house. People have surrounded the house. Their house is packed. There's no way to get in. And that lame man, the man sick of the palsy, that's carried a four, they come. They can't get Him in the door. They go up on the roof, they take the shingles off the roof, and they let him down before the Lord Jesus. And the Lord looks at him and says, Son, your sins be forgiven. Now that's easy for me to say, ain't it? Now, the forgiving of sins is not easy. I'm not saying that at all. But it's easy for me to come and bow and get up and say, My sins have been forgiven. Well, now they murmured when he said those words. And then he said, you tell me whether it's easier to say to this man his sins be forgiven or get up and walk. 
Only God could do either one of those works. Then the Lord Jesus said, Rise, take up your bed and walk. And he done that, that it might be known that he has power on earth to forgive sins. So here is a man that the Lord Jesus says your sins are forgiven, but he don't leave him in the bed unable to walk and help himself. The man gets up and walks out of there carrying the bed that he was let down on. Not only a work of justification inwardly, but a change of the life outwardly. That man was never the same after he met the Lord Jesus. As those that believe in Christ, they are made new creatures. And in verse 7, where we got to last time, he that is dead is freed from sin. Justified is that word freed. It is surrender, show, or regard as just and innocent. So justification and regeneration are the same work. They come together. You cannot have someone that is justified and righteous and right with God that is not regenerated. That is an impossibility. When a man is baptized in the Lord Jesus' death, he'll be resurrected in newness of life. It is one work that is, that is divided in the minds of the churches today, in the minds of many preachers, in the minds of people, in our own families They think you can be right with God and not be a new creature, not have a new life, not be changed by the renewing of the Holy Ghost. But that is not the case. If you're dead in sins, if you've been baptized in the death of the Lord Jesus, you'll be resurrected as a new creature. Now if we be dead with Christ, this is verse 8, if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with Him knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, dieth no more, death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once. But in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. So if we're dead with Christ then, and you think about this, and we'll apply it to the end first. If I'm with Christ, if I'm crucified with Christ, if I've been saved, however you'd like to say it, then wouldn't you say there's a belief that those that are saved are going to live with Him in glory? They're going to live with Him in heaven. They're going to have a life after this life that's eternal with God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and all of the elect of God from the beginning until now that the believers that are saved and born again, that they're going to live with Him in glory one day. Now, if there's not hope of living again, and I I, I believe there is, we all say, well, those in Christ, those that believe in Christ, they're going to have a life after this life. They're going to go to heaven to dwell with the Lord. They're going to escape hell, as Vaughn said already this morning. But we believe also that we shall live with Him. So think, he's not talking here about heaven after I die, though. He's talking about if I believe that I'm accounted dead in Christ, that God, and this this is the transaction of God now, that God has accounted me my sins and my guilt and my ungodliness paid for in the death of the Lord Jesus Christ and His righteousness 
imputed unto me. If I'm dead with Christ, then we believe that we also shall live with Him, that we shall be resurrected. Let's look at a scripture or two. First and Second Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 11. It is a faithful saying, For if we be dead with Him, we shall also live with Him. If we suffer, we shall also reign with Him. If we deny Him, He also will deny us. If we believe not, yet He abideth faithful, He cannot deny Himself. Scripture don't leave any wiggle room. If we're dead with Him, if we're going to have our sins washed away, that we might be able to go to heaven when we die, if we're going to be dead with Him, we're also going to live. The life after the resurrection in the heart will be a new life in servitude to a new master. No longer is man subject to and a slave to Satan and sin, but he's been freed from sin. The work of God has freed him from his obligation to serve Satan, and now he's free to serve his new master, the Lord Jesus Christ. One more place in 2 Corinthians chapter 13. Second Corinthians 13, verse 4. For though he was crucified through weakness, yet he liveth by the power of God. For we also are weak in him, but we shall live with him by the power of God towards you. So we are weak. And I don't dispute that in the least bit. I'm not saying that we're not weak. I'm not saying that we don't have a sinful nature and flesh Paul's not saying that either. But Paul's saying we have a power now that dwells within us that's able to overcome and strengthen us that we might walk in newness of life. Greater is he that is within you than he that's within the world. So that those that are saved, now indwelled by the Spirit, they're servants unto a new master. So we'll look at that more in just a few verses ahead. But verse 9, Knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more. The Lord Jesus died one time never to die again. And we've distinguished all of the other resurrections in the Bible. Those were performed by the hands of somebody else and by the power of another. And all those that were resurrected... From the very first resurrection that we find in the Bible, the widow of Zarephath's son at the hands of Elijah, all the way up until Lazarus in the New Testament, all of those people that were resurrected, they died again. This is a resurrection not in that manner. Not that my heart stops for 20 minutes, or in Lazarus' case, for four days and he raises up in life again, only for his family to have to bury him again down the line. This is a work of the Lord Jesus Christ, who died one time unto sin, was laid in a tomb, and the tomb was sealed with a guard to make sure nobody else could get in there and help him. But he got up by his own power, by his own volition, by his own will, He did say, I have the power to lay my life down. 
and I have the power to take it up again. The Lord got up in spite of man doing all that he could to prevent it, and the Lord got up in victory without sin, without guilt, never to die again. Lazarus was resurrected, and in just another chapter, we see him sitting and eating with Martha and Mary. Now the Lord Jesus resurrected, and he ate fish with them, and he drank with them, and he visited with them to prove that it wasn't a ghost that they were seeing. That was the man's body that got up. You know, that would be if the Lord appeared and He sat right here and He spoke and He disappeared, we wouldn't know what we saw. I mean, when we went out of here, in a day or two as we thought about that, as we run that through our mind, we'd say, well, I don't know if, I don't know if that was the Lord or not. I don't know if that was a ghost or a body. I don't know what we saw. I don't know what, what that was. Well, the Lord's going to make it ir- uh, unmistakable to His disciples that a man Thomas, and Thomas may be mocked as being a man that doubts, but now that, that ought to reveal something to your heart that here's one of His closest followers that doubts whether the man's resurrected or not. They're not trying to craft some lie. Thomas don't believe it happened. And I'm not going to believe it until I see him. Well, the Lord appears. He eats fish with them. He drinks with them. And he says, Thomas, run your hands into my fingers. Thrust your arm into my side and see if it's not me and if this is not my body that you saw hanging on a cross, that you saw him drive nails into, that you saw the Romans drive a spear into the side. You just feel me and see whether I'm not the real thing or not. He proved it without question. And friends, he died to never die again. He tarried with the disciples long enough that they might know that He indeed rose from the dead, that it was not a fairy tale, that it was not a fable, but He was truly resurrected and He went back to God and there He's been forevermore. And there He'll be until the Lord sends Him to bring His church in and to bring destruction upon all the earth. Now, you got any evidence contrary to that? Any evidence contrary to that? You've got thinking, you've got theory, you've got thoughts, you've got disbelief. But ain't it amazing that there is zero evidence contrary to what I just said? And the eyewitness accounts bear witness to what I just said. This is true. Not a fairy tale, not a fable. Jesus died once to die no more in victory. But why did He die? In that He died, He died unto sin once. He was not a sinner, but He was dying unto sin. He was dying the death of a sinner. He died there crucified between two thieves. He was accounted as a thief, accounted as a robber, accounted as a criminal and a sinner before man. You know why that was? 
Because he was dying for sin. He was there dying in the place of sinners that had broken, that had come short of, that had neglected to follow the law of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus died unto sin and he died one time never to die again, never to uh, relinquish life again because death hath no more dominion over him. Why does death not rule over the Lord? Well, if we back up to chapter 5, I'm sure you remember what we covered in chapter 5. There was Adam, there was Eve, there they fell in the garden, and from Adam onward, death has reigned over man. Why? Sin. Man had fallen victim to sin. Man was guilty of sin, and therefore death had dominion over him. And even when the best people died, Joseph, a wonderful man of God, we've got the Word of God on that. He died. And 430 years after he died, his bones were still there. And they carried him out of Egypt into the Promised Land. David, a man after God's own heart, David died. And Peter says in the New Testament, his grave and his bones is with us today. thousand years later, death had dominion over them. They didn't get up. But the Lord Jesus died, and he died sinless. You know how we know that? Well, now you've got no evidence of that. I beg to differ. If he got up, he was without sin. If he had sinned like Adam had sinned, if he had sinned like David had sinned, if he sinned like Joseph had sinned, death would have had dominion over him. Something amazing. We don't have, we don't have one place, and this is very rare. It may be the only case outside of the Lord Jesus and maybe Daniel. Men that there's no evidence of sin in the Scripture, in their life. Joseph was one of those men. We don't read of one place where Joseph failed the law or the righteousness of God. By what I read, it looks like he was perfect. But he died, and he was buried, and they carried his bones out. You know, nobody carried the Lord's bones out. Nobody carried the Lord's body out of the tomb. They carried him and buried him. But he got up himself and walked out of his own volition because he was not a sinner. He died for sin, and he died for sin once. He says in Hebrews that he offered himself one, and by this one sacrifice, this man continueth ever, hath an unchangeable priesthood, wherefore he is able to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing that he ever liveth, to make intercession for them. His sacrifice was perfect. His sacrifice was complete. And His sacrifice is able not to push sins back for another year. You know what they were pushing sins back for? In the Old Testament, they had a day of atonement. There every year... They offered sacrifice and that was the only day of the year that the priest could go in where the Ark of the Covenant was and sprinkle blood to make atonement for the people and for the nation. You know why 
they pushed that back for another year. And the priest would go in the next year and do the same thing, pushing sin back. Never paid for. But the Lord was providing a means for sin to be pushed back till the ultimate sacrifice, till the sacrifice would come and pay that sin debt in full. It was a looking to the Savior that was to come and by one sacrifice, He was going to do away with the sin of mankind. That's why salvation is so secure. The Lord's not got another trial to go through. He's been tested. He's the tried stone. He's the proven stone. He was proven by the devil 40 days in the wilderness. He was proven on the cross as they mocked and spit at Him. He was proven when they buried Him and He rose from the dead. He has been proven and tested and come through every one of them perfectly. There's no reason for me to doubt His ability to save my soul. Well, there's no reason either to doubt whether He can change my life. If He saves my soul, He changes my life. Death hath no more dominion over Him. So we understand that. Well, in the same vein, in the same picture, those that are in Christ Jesus, sin no longer is the ruler and has dominion over the lives of the believer. So let's... let's not skip over a verse here. In verse 11, Likewise, reckon ye your... I'm sorry, verse 10. For in that he died, he died unto sin once, but in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. He says in Revelation 1, let's read this, verse 18. I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I'm alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and of death. He has the means, and I realize we think about hell, the, the, the pit of hell. But he's talking about death in the grave here. Do you think the Lord never did have the keys of hell? He's always had them. It was made for the devil and his angels. But I tell you what he's got. The Lord Jesus has got the keys to release man from the bondage of death that Adam brought upon the whole race. Remember man's sins because he's a sinner. You can't stop because it's your nature to sin. You can't stop. You can't quit. You can't live perfect for 24 hours because you're in bondage to that. The Lord Jesus has the keys to set a man free from the death that Adam introduced to the world. So, uh, verse 11, Likewise, reckon ye also. So in the same picture, in the same vein, now we see the Lord Jesus, He came, offered one perfect sacrifice, resurrected in victory from the dead, and He's never going to die again, but from that day of resurrection forward, He lives forevermore, throughout all eternity, unto God. So likewise ye, Reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So reckon, that means to take an inventory, to estimate. So you that are in Christ Jesus, reckon yourselves 
dead to sin, but alive unto God. God has performed this transforming work of salvation in your life. We ought to reckon that we're dead to sins just as the Lord Jesus died unto sin one time, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. The Lord doesn't leave a man dead. The Lord doesn't leave a man in a place of helplessness when He saves him. But God has paid for those sins, redeemed them out of the hand of the devil, and out from under the wrath and the judgment of God. David says it like this, a picture we can see. You've plucked me out of the miry clay. You put, Now that's a picture. That's a picture of what we're talking about here. He's pulled us out of sin, deception, blackness, under the power of the devil. He pulled us out of the miry clay of death in Adam's race. And now what a lot of people are saying is He pulled me out of the miry clay and He washed me up and He put me right back in it. So that I can live in sin and yet I've been saved. Now that ain't what David says. David says He put, pulled me out of the miry clay and He set my feet on a solid rock and He established my goings. What's He talking about? What we're talking about in Romans 6. That God has plucked a man out of sin and deception, saved his soul, and didn't put him back down in sin to live there, but set him on the Lord Jesus and established a new life in them. God did this. There is a battle left for me to fight, but it's not left up to me to be different after I come to God. God wrought a work in the lives of them that believe in God and in Christ that they are new creatures. They are dead indeed unto sin. Truly, that's what that word means. They are truly dead to sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And remember that now. All of this is possible through the Lord Jesus Christ. We've got nothing outside of the work that the Lord done. So with that in mind now, those that are saved, we're going to begin to see some of the struggle that we're left with as saved people. There is a struggle left for us all to fight, for us all to war. God didn't run out and destroy everybody in Canaan's land and let Israel just walk right in and have it. But they had to go in and fight. God was with them. God strengthened them. God fought with them. God helped them to destroy the enemy. But they had a battle that they had to fight. I believe it's just exactly what Greg said. If we got down, if in five minutes, every time we could get down and see what we needed to in the Word and then get up and teach in wisdom, if we didn't have to study, if we didn't have to pray, if God didn't turn the heat up on us just a little bit every now and then, We'd, we'd think, well, we, we can do this. We don't need God's help. No, there's a battle left that we might learn to rely on God for all things. We, you know, we've got to be taught that because we get too big for our britches and we think we're able to do this we're able, we know what we need to do, we know what we ought to do, I'm just going to do it and that's going to work. 
Well, that don't work. This is a way of dependence on God. God's left us a battle and a warfare to fight that we might learn to depend on Him for all things. He'll let us make bad decisions. He'll let us do the wrong thing. He'll let us do things we regret. He'll turn the heat up on us. That next time, I don't step out and do what I think I ought to do, but I hit my knees and say, God, I don't know what's right here. Help me do the right thing. Lead me how I need to go. The Lord's teaching that. Remember that. So in verse 12, God's done this work. Let's look at Colossians before we get to verse 12. Colossians chapter number 3 and verse number 3. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with Him in glory. So now here, we're dead. Here is the death. And who's dying? The old man is dying. His old nature. And we could, we could list a lot of things. His hatred for the Word of God. His hatred for the church. His pride in himself and in what he's able to do. The old man is dead. And there's a new man that's living. This is the work of salvation. And when Christ appears, we shall also appear with Him in glory. Again, and, and Greg mentioned this there in Peter. That's applied to the end a lot of times. And you could apply this to the end as well. But I tell you what, you could see this. If you're saved, you can see this. Those that are born again, that are regenerated, when Christ appears in the service at the church house, when the Holy Ghost comes through, you can see them appear in glory with the Lord Jesus Christ at His appearing. So that this work of God results in new creatures. It does. But there's a struggle as well. Verse number 12 in Romans. Romans 6 verse 12. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Let. That word means to rule. To exercise kingly power. Exercise your kingly power. Now we know in Revelation chapter 1 verse number 5 from Jesus Christ who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead under the prince of the kings of the earth unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in His own blood, and hath made us kings and priests unto God and His Father. To Him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So the Lord Jesus, in His saving of our soul, in His washing away of our sins, He has made us to be kings and priests unto our God. All of that through the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. So God says, you that are saved, exercise some of the kingly power that you have and let not, allow not sin to reign, to rule or to have authority in your life 
in your mortal body that ye should obey it in the lusts thereof. Obey to hear under as a subordinate. So let's get a few words down here. In your mortal body, liable to die. That's the flesh. The flesh is liable to die at any moment. In 1 John, I believe we could see this right here. 1 John, he says, He, and let me read it or I, I'm going to butcher it. I can already tell I'm going to butcher it. He that commit, this is 1 John chapter 3, verse 8. He that committeth sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that He might destroy the works of the devil. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin, for he is born of God. Now, you can take this two ways, that we're going to have to live perfect in order to get to heaven. That's been said before. We've all heard that said before. But now we know by the Word of God that's not possible. Paul says of himself, there is no good thing in me that is in my flesh. But the inward man that's saved, the man on the inside, the new creature that's born and resurrected, that man can't sin. You know where sin lies? In the flesh. Sin lies in the outward man. In the inward man is the child of God. That that's born of the Word and of the Spirit, that that's born by the will of God and by the salvation of the Lord Jesus, inwardly there is a new man there. A son of God. Outwardly is a son of Adam. Inwardly is a Jacob. Outwardly is an Esau. Inwardly is an Isaac. Outwardly is an Ishmael. Pictures all through the Word of God. How about one more? Inwardly is a David. Outwardly is a Saul. And you know what these always are? They're contrary. They are against one another continually. Inwardly is the child of God. Outwardly is the flesh, the child of, uh, of Adam. I almost forgot Adam's name. The child of Adam, that is nature, is to sin. And there is that warfare that's there. So the Lord says to us that are saved, exercise your newly found kingly authority. God has redeemed you from sin. You're no longer a slave or a servant to the devil. You're no longer a seed of Adam like you have been your whole life. You've been freed from sin. So exercise your kingly authority and let not sin to reign over you. In your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lusts thereof. Again now, lusts. That's not sexual. Can be. I believe that's how that word is always used today. And it's give us a wrong idea. It can be applied that way, but it encompasses all of the desires of man for sin. No matter what that it's for, we all have lusts. We all have desires. 
in the flesh that is contrary to what God would have for us to do. It's a struggle, and it's a struggle in the flesh against the inward man, the spirit. You know what that struggle is? It's the same from the beginning until now. It's the warfare of good and evil. It's the warfare of God and the devil. It's the warfare of truth and a lie. And you know where that's at? That's in the life of everyone that's saved. There's a warfare going on. Now before, we would have been satisfied to hear a lie and to go on and sin. Nothing was there to check us. Nothing was there to bother us. We could lay at the house on Sunday morning. We could come to church on Sunday morning. Didn't make a difference to us. We could lay out drunk Friday night. We could stay in and be a good boy Friday night. Didn't bother us a lick either way. No check there. You know what that is? That's a servant of sin. Well, I'm not a servant of sin. Then stop. Stop. You're a servant to sin. You can't stop. Well, I don't want to stop. That's exactly right. That's the desire of Adam. That's the desire of the flesh. And that's the desire of the devil. The truth of God has been at war with the devil from the beginning. You know what caused man to fall? A warfare between the truth and a lie. And the war rages on today in the mortal bodies. And know that this is the trouble of the child of God. There's not an inward trouble with the child of God. Inwardly, they're new creatures. There he is, a son of God in the inward man of everyone that's saved. It's the outward man that's at war. So let not sin... Rain. He says in Romans 13, and Greg looked at this. It's been a little while back. Romans 13, verse 14. But put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. So make not provision to fulfill the desires of your flesh. You know, we could put things in our way that's going to make the battle much more difficult on us than it need be. We make provision to fulfill what our flesh would desire. You know what we're doing? We're subordinating ourselves. We're putting ourselves under the authority of sin. And well, I, I just want to, I want to do this. This is a benefit to me. This is what I want to do. And it's not like it used to be that we were a slave to sin and we didn't have any other choice. But today, God would warn us and say, wait a minute, this is not exactly right. This is not the way that you ought to go. And that struggle is there. And the child of God has to willingly say, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to follow sin anyway. I'm going to subordinate myself and I'm going to do what the devil would have me to do. We never think about it like that. That's exactly what's going on. Instead of doing what God would have me, I'm going to yield myself to the devil and to sin, and I'm going to serve that instead of God. 
I'm going to do what I want and I'm going to please me and I'm going to please my flesh and forget about God for just a few minutes. Well, God says, don't do that. Let not exercise your authority and let not sin reign in your mortal body. I'm not saying be perfect. See, you run into a struggle. Hyper-Christians and super-saints, they take stuff like this and say, well, I'm better than you because I'm winning the battle more than you're winning. <coughs> well, can your eyes say to your feet that I'm better than you? I need my eyes. But you know, if I ain't got them, I ain't going anywhere anyway. Can my hand, my arm say to my leg, I'm better than you? <coughs> this, this leg is stronger than this arm. But boy, this arm's useful as well. See, it's a body. All of it's made to work together for one purpose. There are stronger parts. There are more better looking parts. There's parts that we're ashamed of and we want to keep covered up. There's parts we want to look good and show off. But it's one body with one purpose. That's the way the church is. The church is a body. There's weak members. There's strong members. There's mighty members and glorious members. And there's members that maybe uh, they, that, that aren't as glorious. And I don't mean that wrong towards anybody. <clears throat> but that's nothing to be ashamed of. And that's not for the eye to glorify over the foot. But realize this, that in a body there's many members and they serve one purpose. And if you're going to be a strong Christian, it's not going to be because, well, I'm going to sit down here and I'm going to be good and I'm going to try hard. It's by the grace of God that we are what we are. If you're strong, praise God that you're strong but you're not better than the weak one. You know why they're weak? God's not strengthened them like He has you. Well, they ought to do better, preacher. They ought to try a little harder. No, they're there for a purpose. If my toes were as strong as my thigh, that'd be messed up, wouldn't it? It wouldn't work the way the body's intended to work. There's members of a body that the Lord's put together and who are you to question the body? The Lord made it the way He sees fit. And when He needs a strong member, when He needs a Sunday school teacher, when He needs somebody to preach the gospel, He'll call one of them out of there. And I can tell you He'll call the weakest one out of the bunch to do it. The body is the Lord's. Boy, they's, it's a shame. But there's a lot of trust in self today. And it's to the detriment of the body. The body is one and looks to the Master that put it all together. Looks to the Master that does the saving, that does the strengthening, that does the helping. And you know, there's nothing wrong with me looking at this fellow and saying, boy, I'd like to have the Spirit that he's got. That, that would encourage me. That would help me to follow the Lord. But this is what it ought to do. It ought to cause me to look to the Master 
that gives the strength from glory. You ought not look to me for strength or help. I am not the source. I'm a member of the body just like you're a member of the body. And you might look at me and say, well, he's a more necessary member than I am. Would you say that about any part of your body? Even your teeth. Th- those are necessary, aren't they? You let one get hurt and see what it affects. You lose them and see what you can eat. You lose a toe and see if it don't affect your body. John Wayne's lost a finger or two and not even a whole finger. Did you have to do some adjusting? You better believe it. The body is one and it's required that if it's going to work perfectly, all the parts work together for that one purpose. Following the leadership of the Lord Jesus Christ. So there's not one better than another. There's not super saints. There's not super duper muscle men that are mighty because they've done some great work or because they're great prayer warriors or because they're great mighty men of God and they're just strong. I'll tell you what Elijah was. Elijah was a man that went up on the mountain and he prayed a little prayer and God sent fire that lapped up 12 barrels of water, the wood, 12 stones of the altar, the sacrifice, and the dust of the ground. What a mighty man of God. Elijah prayed one time, and it did not rain for three and a half years. And he prayed again, and it rained that day. Elijah was a mighty man of God, wouldn't he? Jezebel said, I'm going to kill you. And he ran 120 miles and hid and said, God, I'm ready to die. Now, if you didn't know the first part and all you knew was the second, what would you say about Elijah? Coward. Fearful. Weak. Why, he ain't got any faith. That's what's wonderful about him. He's a man of like passions just as we are. We're weak and dependent upon strength from the Master. You know what God taught Elijah that day? God brought him a little food. And He said, Elijah, the journey's too great for you. Elijah, you're not going to be able to make it. Boy, it'd be easy to get the big head and say, look at what God done with me. Look at the miracle that God wrought through my hands. I'm a mighty man of God. Look at the power that I have. But God taught him, Elijah, you're not going anywhere without me. I'm your strength. I'm your sufficiency. I'm your help. And if you're going to make it, it's going to be by my strength and by my grace and by my power. That's the way it is for everybody in the house. He's going to say in this book, let every man think not highly, not of his brethren. He don't say anything in the book about me thinking less of you than I already do. No, it's me. Let not any man think more highly of himself than he ought to think.
I need grace. You need grace. I need strength. You need strength. I need power. You need power. And if the church is going to worship God, we look to the head for guidance in what to do. And you let the head, if this goes dead, though my heart beats and my lungs breathe, blood pumps through my body, my tissue is still alive, if this is dead, what good is this? It's a vegetable. It's a burden. And as far as it accomplishing anything, it's absolutely worthless. I tell you, the church outside of the Lord Jesus is a vegetable, a body with no guidance. That's what's going on in our world today. That's why services are a wreck. 